welcome to the Inspired Riding Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Lauren Parrish. As a certified riding instructor, remote coach, and animal communicator, I bridge the gap between your inner and outer worlds as you strive to enhance all aspects of your riding. I'm here to remind you that you are powerful and more than capable of changing your reality with your horse time. Hello there, Inspired Riders. Welcome back to the Inspired Riding Podcast. As many people know, we have moments where we have to take those pauses. I love to think of pause, breathe, and smile and get really focused on gratitude. So yet again, I had a pause in this podcast for a very good reason. I actually created my most recent book. It's called Your Horse Believes in You. And in this podcast, I'm going to read the beginning part so you can get a taste of what it's like. So it's called Your Horse Believes in You. Trust your intuition to ride with confidence. Discover how inspired riding will make your horse proud. By Beth Lauren Parrish. Certified Riding Instructor and Creator of Inspired Riding. This book is divided into three parts, and this is how to read the book. This is not your typical riding instruction book. I'm not your traditional riding instructor. You're about to embark on a journey, one that has been crafted by my horse experiences since 1986, when I started lessons at the age of eight. Every ride, lesson, and encounter teaches and shapes us. Horses are parallels to life. The more we get in tune with horses, the more we can understand our life's journey. Here are the three parts. Part one, the inspired riding way. Practical tools for cultivating clarity, confidence, and connection with your horse. Part two, all about my life journey with insights to inspire and hopefully help you avoid mishaps. Part three, Messages for humans from the Inspired Riding Herd members, told from their perspective. You can read it the traditional way from back to front, or you can treat it like a choose-your-own-adventure. You might notice some repeating concepts throughout this book. Your mind learns by repetition, so please know that this was done intentionally. I hope this book will allow for more ease and grace in your life, and with horses. After all, your horse believes in you, and so do I. May the horse be with you, always. Beth Lauren Parrish Okay, here's the prologue. Reminders of a true connection. My heart smiled as my nostrils took in a familiar smell, a very rich musk with a hint of banana. I had been reunited with my favorite horse, Calcutta. This was the smell of his muzzle. Every horse has a distinct smell around their nose and mouth. When you're connected to a horse deeply, this smell can be intoxicating. I was on holiday break after my first semester of college in 1996. While completely bundled up for warmth, I hardly felt the cold air. My excitement kept my blood pumping. I was elated to be back at my barn on Long Island. I sighed with gratitude and took in the grand array of changing leaves in the distance. I had missed the sight of those trees as well. Once I brought Calcutta to the mounting block and got on carefully, 
he felt like he always felt, ready and excited to go, despite being semi-retired. As we moved briskly, I felt my seat bones connect in the saddle and sync up with his forward walk tempo. Even though I had been back in my childhood home for a few days already, this was the moment when I really felt like I was truly home. I then asked him to trot around the track that surrounded the jump arena. We were instructed to take it easy, but I secretly wanted to go faster. There are no secrets you can hide from a beloved horse. He started to canter up the hill, far away from the track where we started. My laughter was audible to the riders down below. I said to him, Thank you for that, sweet boy. We better chill out or I'll get in trouble. That was my last ride on this larger-than-life, energetic event horse. He was about 32 at the time. He had no doubt shaped me into the rider I am today, especially since he was owned by my amazingly talented childhood trainer. I was honored when she offered to let me ride and compete with him. At his ripe old age of 28, I won first place in a jumping class with him. This was the first recognized show that put me at the next level from maiden to novice. That's when I learned that horses have no sense of how old they are. They simply move in the ways that bring them joy. Calcutta absolutely loved to jump as much as I did. Every time I sat on his liver chestnut 16-3 hand body, he could feel my excitement and became even more energized. So when I was allowed to do this last little exercise ride, I was completely tickled that he remembered how much fun we had together. His love for jumping, inhaling bananas, and making me giggle with his exuberant personality is carried in my heart like a precious gem. I beam that love, connection, and joy out to all the other horses I've fallen in love with thus far. Remember this, you get more of what you continue to focus on. Even if it's just a little twinkle of an idea inside, like a fleeting wish of your beloved horse cantering up a hill with you. What does your heart want right now? Follow that. Part 1. The Inspired Riding Way The morning I had my first accident requiring surgery, I had a voice inside me say, You're going to fall off today. As a young horse trainer, I raised an eyebrow that morning when I heard that voice, but then quickly shrugged it off. I had moved from New York to Northern California and had been working for a trainer for nearly one year. My assistant trainer position involved having me school the -the off-the-track thoroughbreds and give beginner riding lessons to the local children. It was a dream job for any horse-crazy girl from an outsider looking in. Nobody would have realized that I was on a path towards this accident. The ex-racehorses we were training didn't have much downtime. They were kept in stalls, turned out in a small paddock for a few hours at a time, lunged, and then expected to be ridden by myself or some of the more advanced students with some sense of normalcy, as if they hadn't just been persuaded to gallop their hearts out recently. I had developed a healthy sense of anxiety when it came to riding these thoroughbreds, as they would tear around the arena, nearly toppling over from the sheer speed of careening the corners, or would buck like crazy after going over small jumps. At the time, this was my first job where I was working for another trainer. I trusted that she knew what she was doing. It became clear that she had a specific agenda, 
one where she would find very cheap or free horses to retrain to become suitable jumping horses for young riders and sell them at a much higher price. I did my best to do what she wanted, but I was falling off more in one year than I had my entire 14 years of riding thus far. I did learn a ton of what not to do. Since then, I've found that retraining racehorses takes a lot longer time. Way more time than most people have the patience for. They are also some of the most incredible horses I've ever encountered, especially with how much they are willing to offer and adapt to any situation. They are also experts at melting your heart when you feel a soft breath in your ear as they rest their chin on your shoulder. Back to that voice which told me that I was going to fall. I ignored it like I mentioned. I ended up riding a 17-hand thoroughbred that I had already popped off of a couple of times before. I didn't do any kind of groundwork or lunging. I simply tacked him up and began riding nonchalantly around the arena. While we were in a steady little trot, something across the street spooked him and he bucked hard. I was on the ground before I even realized what happened. Nearly six hours later, I woke up in the recovery room petting a bunny. The nurses said it was okay because nobody would believe me. All I could think about was that voice. I was warned and did nothing to make any changes that day. I now have a beautiful scar on my left forearm to remind me to listen. This arm also has a six-inch plate within. It's something to remind me that I will always appreciate being in a warmer climate. That would be the first of my bionic woman saga. I decided to move on when the head trainer came to see me after surgery and was sure I would get right back to work in a few days. I thought this notion was crazy since I needed time to recover. I decided to move to Southern California with friends and start over. It was either that or move back to New York. My left arm was unusable for several months, so I knew I needed help. I didn't think jumping back into teaching riding was the best choice. I needed time to heal and rehab, and I was done with the fear and angst that had developed from working in this particular program. It was weighing on me, and this was the first opportunity to move on. One week later, walking down the barn aisle with my arm in a sling and my heart desperate to connect to my horses, I felt a wave of emotions. My heart was telling me it was time to leave that job and go where I was truly appreciated. These thoughts bubbled up into my consciousness, strong enough to be heard past the pain meds-induced haziness I was feeling from the recent surgery. I was now very keen on noticing these subtle messages from my inner guidance after having been ridiculously hard on myself for ignoring that warning about the fall. I had completely ignored my intuition. I did nothing to make any changes. I could have done groundwork, decided not to ride, or slowed down and practice how to have a full conversation with my intuition for clarification. Yet none of these skills were in my toolbox on that day. I had to discover them on my own, and that lesson was incredibly painful. I'm here to tell you that the skills of developing your intuition are available and can be enhanced without being painful. There are practical steps to fine-tuning your intuition, which I'll share with you in this book. Learning this can not only make your life easier and more magical, but it can also help prevent you from landing in the hospital.
Now that I trust my intuition completely, I'm able to know without a doubt things like, one, when it's a good time to ride or not. This was probably one of the most useful ways to use my intuition, especially when I was rehabbing from injuries. Two, how I'm honestly feeling, so I can best adjust my horse time if needed. Low energy means I would either do a little groundwork or a quiet bareback ride instead of pushing myself to do some small jumps. Three, trusting the messages I get from my horses and knowing that I can honor what they need. This is a game changer for our relationship. Hearing them, honoring them, and then doing what is best for us both. More on this later as well. So without a doubt, my entire life perspective changed after that fall. I don't wait for voices any longer. I take the initiative to tune in. Every morning I write in what I call my inner guidance journal, and I ask my higher self, universe, angels, whatever you want to call this super cool connection we all have, what do I need to focus on today? Every day it's different, and it's also so varied. Some days it's all about making sure I honor when I need to take a nap. This can be difficult when you're an overachiever. Other days it can be the spark of an idea of how to approach my next project. Looking back, having that accident was actually one of the greatest gifts a young instructor could have received. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had also begun to find my empathy button for my students. I learned about going as slow as you need to when you're afraid, and most importantly, never pushing too hard too fast. You see, I was never afraid of riding. I would get those stomach flips for the competitions, but it wasn't anything like what I had experienced when getting back in the saddle from that fall. My body became terrified of getting hurt again. I had a recurring thought of my horse bucking. I would freeze up and would have to hop off many times. I had to honor that. I had to take my time and only ride the horse I trusted completely. That horse, believe it or not, was an Arabian named Biffy, my little prince. He was a Polish Arabian and the main lesson horse in the program where I took on all of the beginner riders. The owner agreed to let me purchase him on a payment plan as I had fallen in love with his heart of gold. He would actually stop if you felt off balance. While he was on the lunge line, it was precious to see him come to a halt, look at me, and then turn his head to the side that I couldn't see to indicate his little student had lost her stirrup again. Biffy was my get back in the saddle and get my confidence going again steady steed. It took a good four months before I was clear to ride and then another six to feel completely comfortable again. He was the confidence builder we all need in our lives. And even though he was an Arabian, a breed that is not often put in the category of the steady eddies, he was by far the most steadfast horse I've ever met in my life. When I was clear to ride again, I suddenly had a wave of fear come over me. Even though I had the perfect horse to ride and build up my confidence, I was still freaking out. I finally understood why some of my students were nervous. That visceral, painful experience of hitting the ground kept popping back up in my mind's eye any time I started trotting again. The explosive buck that landed me in the hospital came directly after that nonchalant trot around the arena. I would bring Biffy back to a halt when I started thinking about that fall again. 
the images were incredibly vivid of sitting on the ground in excruciating pain. I didn't want that to happen again. I needed to find a way through this. I loved riding too much to let this roadblock in my mind stop me. I craved getting back to that gorgeous connected feeling of being home in the saddle. I would hop off any time I couldn't stop the images from flooding in, making my heart beat too fast and my face would begin to quiver. Then I would try again the next day. I didn't have any of the tools I use now. It was simply trial and error without any support around me. I fumbled my way back to some semblance of riding again. It was definitely a more hesitant approach, but I was determined. The one thing I do appreciate about the process, I didn't beat myself up about having to hop off. I knew that when those images took over, my body was not present. That wasn't fair to Biffy. He was so patient with me. When I started teaching again, one of the first things I would say to new students was this. My main goals for your lessons are for you to have fun, feel safe, and make progress in your own way. I need you to always feel brave enough to tell me if something doesn't feel right. This way we can dial things back or stop if needed. All of my students appreciated this new-to-me approach. We started having real conversations about the shakiness they felt. Their horses also felt relief that they were being honest with their emotions. There were wonderful days where everything flowed perfectly. There were also many lessons where I would hold space for my student to get present and brave just on the mounting block. Those lessons were incredibly beneficial too, since they were real and honest and actually helped them feel completely supported. They can now look back at those wobbly moments and feel proud that they have moved past that but were never shamed for them. And I've never even considered going back to the pushiness of my youthful teaching days. Before that particular accident, I'm not embarrassed to say that as a riding instructor back when I started 20 years ago, I was a bit pushy, especially with my younger students who showed talent on their fabulous ponies. We do the best we can with what we know. I was always so excited for their potential in the show ring that I would sometimes ask them to do just a little bit more in each lesson. I didn't pick up on their subtle signals that they were scared. After all, I was their instructor, and I knew that their ponies were talented enough to take care of them, despite their nervousness. Breaking my arm made me a better instructor. I listen more, especially when my students either start talking a lot or get really quiet. Those are good indications that they are doing their best to manage some nerves. I can also tell when they've stopped breathing. The flow gets interrupted. I love reminding them to come back to their breath and to express what they need to say, always. My special superpowers involve building my students' confidence back up in a step-by-step process. Now that I've been through four other surgeries, since that first one, I've had loads of experience with getting back to riding in a fun and safe way. I've also dialed in some of the best methods for getting brave in the saddle again. I began to hone the tools of slowing down, listening to my intuition, and connecting with my horse. You'll learn more about that in the next chapter. The next chapter is called Slow Down, Tune In, and Listen. I hope this has helped you and inspired you in many ways. 
I hope you'll take a look at the book. You can find it at inspiredwriting.com forward slash book. Thank you so much for listening. And may the horse be with you always. Always.